there hasn't been anything bad that I can think about except that it's fucking expensive and I'm yeah. broke as fuck. Yeah. Beep. If I could, there won't be any beeps, but if I... I'm- Raw, dude. I dreamt that I was hanging out with a bunch of suicide girls or something like that, a group like that. And they claimed that I had encouraged them to move to Portland. And I wanted to do a documentary on them, and they were like, no, don't do it on this other subject. And it turned out that there was some horrifyingly brutal violent killer that was stalking people in their tents and would drive them through, would drive, would hook up their tent and drive it around until they were beaten up inside. He would come out and then kill them in really horrifyingly gross and brutal ways. And I, of course, was seeing the imagery of what he was doing and trying to get it out of my mind because it was just too much. And I also got a tattoo on my arm, on my left arm, I think, of a piece of imagery that I saw somewhere in this town. That was like an old, decrepit, burnt, and bloodied sort of house front facade. And, uh, and toward the end of the dream, we're walking through a house and we get attacked by some fucking guy. And, and I'm trying to fight him in this like bathroom setting. He's got a fucking gun and I get the gun away from him. He's got a knife and it's so intense. And I eventually throw a bottle of Grape Crush at him. Welcome to Between Us. I'm John Totten. Our guest today is Brian Cook, the drummer for the Portland band Blitz and Trapper. Brian is also an actor, and I got to catch up with him right after a television shoot in Portland. What you just heard was one of Brian's dream journals. For some reason, it only made sense to me that our discussion would lead us to the interpretation of dreams. There's something about drums that relate to the unconscious, for me. I wondered if this was actually true, and I asked a friend more versed in neuroscience. He said, only in that rhythm and dreams are both the product of associative or unconscious slash pre-conscious information. Oh well. If you've been listening to our podcast, you might know that our interviews are more like conversations, and they often leave us with more questions than answers. Welcome to the world of therapy. Similarly, we aren't going to solve the interpretation of dreams today. That's not my goal. My goal is simply to explore part of the mind of an artist I respect and his experience in therapy. Brian's access to his unconscious mind is unique. And if you haven't checked out his band, Blitzen Trapper, you should, because it shows. Here we are in his living room in Portland, Oregon. So there was one time where I came to Portland and we were having lunch at a, like a New Seasons or something. And you were talking about your experience of therapy. And 
It might have been about three years ago. Would it would have been just beginning? I don't remember. <clears throat> but I remember it really kind of changing how you thought about things. According to your view or me telling you it's changing the way that I view things? <laughs> My memory of that conversation. What is your memory? We're eating like a slice of grocery store pizza or something and you were seeing a, a female therapist. Yeah. And you had just as ended, a, As a patient, not dating. Right, because you had just ended a, a long-term relationship. Yes, I was... I had just gotten out of a 7.8 year long relationship. Mm-hmm. And uh it and and it ended twice. Right. After the first time I started seeing a therapist. It was about 3 years mm-hmm. with gaps. How did that relationship compare to your expectations going into it? Mm. I would well. I dreaded going well before I ever decided to go, um, and I think if I had to explain then before going why I didn't want to go, it's hard to articulate. But I think I probably would have explained it as I don't need it, mm. or if I go. Maybe the fear is that um, my psyche and all my secrets will be laid bare and judged. And somehow that to me seems like a fearful, uh, seemed to me like a fearful scenario of the idea of no secrets or the idea of being totally vulnerable and honest and open was a really terrifying notion. It wasn't something that I was like longing for, or I didn't think I was longing for. It was something I was, I think, actively avoiding. Um, was only, I think, ignorantly afraid of what that might entail. Whereas after beginning the practice and seeing what it actually is, um, all those initial fears melted. I think, you know, it's possible a new set of fears might have come into place, Mm -hmm. but, but, but yeah, those are all, those were all just sort of ignorant notions and, you know, maybe to some degree, some kind of justification of why I just didn't want to do it. Maybe out of laziness or uh, an aversion to, you know, openness and intimacy. Mm -hmm. I think what I wanted to get out of therapy was some kind of, or want to, is some kind of awareness of myself that's more than I have mm-hmm. that enlightens why I do the things that I do and not just the things that I want to do, but especially the things that I seem horrifyingly powerless not to do, despite my awareness that I shouldn't do them. And not in a sense of like that's illegal or legal, like more like just like intuitive um, insight and. Um, feeling my way through social situations, you know, I don't know how anyone, I can only relate to the way I experience it, but I imagine other people have a similar experience of some kind where they have set many voices in their heads. Mm-hmm. I guess I, 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 the reason I, one of the reasons that I consciously chose the 
person that I decided to see was a an advertisement that I found of theirs in which they um, advertised uh, a type of therapy called archetypal pattern analysis. Hmm. And um, I didn't know much about it except that it was in the post-Jungian sort of vein. And I had been reading a lot of Jung. Uh, and so I don't think that I was thinking it was a synchronicity, but I was just like, this is interesting. The collective unconscious was pushing you towards her. I think I just thought this is interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I would rather see this person than than any of the other people that I'd investigated. When I read, when I read Jung, uh, the archetypes... They seem very abstract to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I more identify with his his style of writing and the things that he's passionate about, and his interest in understanding symbolism and liter- you know in literature and religion and all these different things. And but also just like in his writings, I just enjoy his voice of compassion and and interest in, um, in humanity and. Uh, the archetypes, they seem sort of shadowy and mysterious to me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I do love the notion, or did always love the notion, of dream analysis. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that my therapist encouraged me to do was to continue to write my dreams down, which I typically did. I just had the worst actress nightmare ever. Did you learn something by doing that? Though they would kind of have seasons of coming and going, for the most part, the more I would write them down, the more that I would remember them. And so through the discipline of doing that, I could sort of access more of this bizarre life of images that I was having. But my dreams had always been horrible my whole life, like as far as I could remember, like nightmares and like... um, like like repetitive nightmares. Mm. Um, Do you remember any of them still? Yeah, of course. One of one my my earliest like really really terrifying recurring nightmare that I can think of involves my mother. In the dream, I'm six. And I'm in reality, I'm six years old. And in the dream, I'm in the home that we live in, which is a two story home. My bedroom is in the dark of the basement. And I'm upstairs in the living room, and I hear my mom calling to me. And so I go down into the dark of the basement, and in the pitch black, I can see the outline of the figure of my mom, sort of. And I start to make my way into the dark of the basement toward her, and before I can make out whether or not that's her, I realize that's not, and she's pounced on me as a vampire and bitten into my neck, and I wake up. And that was a nightmare that I just I had for years. Was there what enlightenment there for you? Um, the dream that I had almost immediately after beginning the practice that sort of was a crystal picture of my state at the time. I think mm-hmm. was this bizarre dream that it, it's 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 hard to describe. I think in a way that would indicate its meaning, but to me, it's a very meaningful dream. And like. Like from above, like coming into this room, which is obviously a deep, dark, again, basement or a stronghold, underground stronghold. 
and in the center of the room is uh, um, like a, an infant. And standing over the infant is a military soldier. And I am independent of all of it, just sort of watching. And uh, another guy comes in, uh, also seemed military, and approaches the baby and begins to talk to the guard about this baby. And as I close in to the conversation and see the baby, it's like an infant, but really red and raw and and just like much more like a like itself like a hard boiled egg but somehow like a hard boiled egg that's a living ba- newborn baby and and I'm looking at it and I suddenly this deep well of compassion like opens up in me and I'm like oh my gosh this is what happened and the the soldiers then like perceive me and address me and they start talking about it and they're like describing how uh, he has been asleep for a very long time but he's just now waking up and I reached down and grabbed this baby into tea and it's the skin of its eyes sloughed off like two hard boiled eggs and I was mortified and thought I had destroyed something or, you know, injured the baby. And they were like, no, no, it's okay. He's, he's waking up. And then I wake up. And to me, the dream just seemed like I had been completely ignorant most of my life about how stunted and uh, arrested my development had been as a young person and and not even in, in the sense of my childhood but like but like pre-verbal like infancy and into like my first year um, I was essentially raised by a machine you know like uh, I was born two months premature and wasn't really allowed a lot of human contact if, if any for quite a while and and I think this has to do with the narrative that my therapist sort of withdrew from this dream as well. But 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 like this notion that that so much of my upbringing and my childhood and my relationship to my parents and the world revolves around this very crucial time period where where all these uh, defenses and and levels of 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 adjusting to the pain and to the isolation and uh, the confusion of the situation that I was put in for like almost a year, um, you know, not knowing for the first couple months if I was going to make it or not. I was just like a it was basically just like a miracle of science, baby, you know. And it isn't like I have a conscious awareness of this time, mm-hmm. but. But, you know, and in a chain of events, I could see very easily how how one thing leads to another. To me, it's so clearly representative in that dream and in other ways, in other dreams as well. And and also the idea that 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 the process of therapy was somehow an an egg, a, a birth of 
an awakening, another level of awakening within me. Well, I mean, I think what stands out to me about the dream, and this could be an analog for therapy, is that the the Brian who was spectating felt compassion for the Brian in the egg. I think that's that's crucial, yeah, because I had never really, I had never, I don't think I'd ever really truly appreciated that that aspect. The narrative before was one, maybe a mixture and more nuance, but more dominated by guilt and shame as opposed to compassion. Yeah, that's true. But I think that's also a product of growing up in a really conservative Christian household, certainly a part of it. And so you you had this dream while you were in therapy? Like in, the, in that time This was period. like the first dream, I th- one of the first dreams, if not the first that I wrote down after starting and have, and being instructed to pay attention to what comes up after our meetings. As a therapist, my main engagement with the unconscious is not around what my patients are telling me. It is with what else they are telling me when they tell me. I believe that we rarely make mistakes in how we communicate even in the negative space of our communication. Anyone who has ever experienced a mutual crush with someone else knows that in those infatuated interactions, we say exactly what we feel without saying it or without conscious intent to say our feelings. In those moments, we may as well be married to the person we barely know. Because with our affect and our eyes, we are saying so much more than our mouths are saying. And the other knows this and responds similarly. These communications are ubiquitous, and it is not required that we bring them forward all the time. But as a therapist, I encounter more of the other and more of the relationship the more I tune in to these communications. So as I sit with my patients, I try to constantly come back to the question. What are we telling each other that we're not telling each other? I've come to appreciate these communications as mutual and co-created. What was your relationship with that therapist like? Um, enigmatic. Did you, did you feel anything toward her? I think... Um... I think I wanted her, I wanted her approval mm-hmm. um, as a person. I don't know. I don't know. And by what metric I wanted, you know, approval, but some, in some vague way, mm-hmm. but I mean, I, I think that makes sense because I essentially at that point in my life, I felt like I was coming to her a broken person. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, I came to the relationship like vulnerably, asking for help and when I got it it's like uh, it, it it was a good thing and but it, there's always this feeling of like what what are the boundaries of this relationship in conversation and I think it's really hard to ask those questions for me for some reason were there any indications of how she felt toward you she seemed very supportive of me as an individual and very mm-hmm encouraging of me as 
an artist and, and, um, seemed very, she seemed very compassionate and encouraging in, in my uh, attempt to understand who I am and in context. And, and it, it seemed like it, it didn't, you know, if I had things to talk to her about that were, um, difficult or, or potentially shameful or hard to admit, it never phased her and she never ceased to have a good encouraging take on it, which was very uh, disarming over time, but it took time. It was disarming that she wasn't judging me, you know, for things that I wanted. You know, it's like I could talk about this for a while, but then when that thing was done, then I could talk about something else and maybe it's a little more vulnerable or a little more, Raw. Oh, so you were like testing each water out. I mean, not consciously, I don't think, but that's how it felt like. Yeah. Building, building deeper and deeper levels of trust. Yeah. And when you would get comfortable in one area, you would go a little deeper. Yeah, I think so. And also, and, and part of it is, I think I was like admitting to different narratives about myself. That's kind of one way that it seemed. Admitting to who? To her. Yeah. I lost my train of thought. Sorry. I think of my, I, I like to think that my unconscious plays a huge role in my life. But because of its nature, I can't, I can't illuminate it, its influence, except to say, just trust me, it's at work. But. I think I guess maybe I think that because as an artist I'm sort of I sort of feel bound to my unconscious for inspiration in so many different ways and no matter what medium I explore it always it's always the sudden oh you know what that would be a where did that idea come from I don't have a clue but it just popped into my brain and it was the perfect the perfect solution to an idea that I hadn't even formulated yet or to a, to a problem that I hadn't even formulated yet or I hadn't even been aware that I knew there was a problem that needed to be solved and suddenly it's like, oh, sudden insight, bam, there it is. But it's nothing I can plan. But sort of in the same way that, um, that David Lynch talks about TM, you know, to catch the big fish. I think there are probably, there are things that you can do to increase the likelihood that inspiration can reach you. I think if you're constantly on your phone or you're constantly um, watching TV, you're probably not going to catch the big fish, but, but... But listening to podcasts will allow you to catch the big fish. Well, certainly one in which people have these NPR style kind of like meditative voices <laughs> that will trigger... A, a brainwave cycle that is more amenable to creativity than, <laughs> than say like, you know, watching a Marvel action movie would. Thanks. Is that telling you how good I'm doing or is that just recording the sounds of my voice? It's just recording the sounds of your voice. <sighs> That's a relief. If you had told me, in my 20s, that uh, 
the collective unconscious was a thing, I would have probably been pretty hard to convince and pretty skeptical. Now, whenever I talk about the collective unconscious, I think warmly of the time that I met my friend Caitlin at the beginning of graduate school. Hi. Hello. Hi. How's it going? Good. I haven't talked to you in a while. I know. I still think that my story of how you and I became friends or met is like the weirdest dream story I've heard yet. Yeah, I know. Me too. So what do you remember? What do you remember about that? The time we met? Um, it was the first year, um, we had never met, but there was one day where she sat at my table and during the break in class, she looked at me and said, Hey, John, I had a dream about you last night. And I said, hmm, that's weird. What happened in the dream? And she said, well, we were in this room, and you walked up to me, and you handed me an icon of a saint and a rosary. My dream of you offering me rosary beads and looking very sympathetic and kind just made I, I don't know it was like such a weird dream so I it like made me want to go sit next to you and so I did I told Caitlin that's really weird and that some of my dreams had been pretty weird lately and she said like what and I told her about one from the previous weekend I had been leaving a bar and I was in the parking lot and there were motorcycle parts and blood all over the pavement. And there was an ambulance. And I got up into the back of the ambulance. In the back of the ambulance, there was a man on a stretcher. And a boy and a girl. I walked up to the boy and I said, everything's going to be all right. And he disappeared. I walked up to the girl and said, everything's going to be all right. And she pulled a book out of her abdomen and handed it to me. I don't know what the book was. But then she disappeared. Then I walked up to the man on the stretcher. And I said, everything's going to be all right. And he took his hand in mine. You asked the guy if he was going to be all right. And he said, no, I'm going to die. And then he woke up. Is that right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. As I was telling the story, I noticed that Caitlin was beginning to tear up. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, my former stepfather just died in a motorcycle accident. On a road, and he left behind a son and a daughter. The feeling I remember after telling Caitlin that story and her telling me the significance was chilling. And I remember... She was wiping tears from her eyes, and she looked at me and said, My dream about you means something to me now. You've been listening to Between Us, which is produced by myself and Mason Neely, who also composed our music. Thanks to our guest, Brian Cook. If you haven't checked out his band Blitz and Trapper, go online and find them. 
They tour constantly, so you can probably see them live pretty soon. Find us on social media. Say hi. Tell us what you think. Look for us on iTunes. Leave a review if you don't mind. And take care.